Brooke. This is Christine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Let's talk about the readings this week. So I have a question for you. What does the term multimedia mean to you? And can you give me an example? So I would say multimedia is any form of presentation that contains more than one form of communication or expression. Um, So some examples would include uh, graphic or um, text, more specifically animations or photography, um, a sound clip. That's a good definition. Why do you think this is such a powerful tool in learning that so many educators are now incorporating multimedia into their lessons? There's definitely quite a lot of research and evidence that shows how words and graphics are so vital for learners, um, especially when they have low uh, or little prior knowledge of the topic. Um, And I think that words alone don't get the point across in the way that we want it to. Um, and it promotes kind of like a fixed mindset um, or a uh, the article puts out as shallow learning with little connections um, just because you're not exploring any differentiation. And I think that relevant graphics that really promote the text um, alongside text are, is most definitely a proven method for fostering uh, deeper connections, personal connections and cognitive uh, connections. And um, I think that multimedia is something that allows us as educators to work together to create a more meaningful experience for the learners in our classrooms. You use the term relevant graphics. When choosing a graphic image to support the text or vice versa, How can an educator decide on what kind of graphic to choose? Well, educators should choose what they know is going to be best for their projected audience. Um, Decorative graphics might be fun for students, but they don't necessarily enhance the message of the lesson. And um, I think they can be used situationally. Uh, For example, during an icebreaker activity, they're appropriate, but... Uh, we as educators should be focusing on other educational methods um, to get these graphics within the context. So, for example, um, the article mentions representational graphics, uh, relational graphics representing two or more variables, um, organizational graphics such as diagrams, transformational images that show how objects change over time, and interpretive graphics that portray invisible relationships. You mentioned a lot of different types of graphics. Do you think that graphics should always be added along with text to support all learners? Or are there situations where it could possibly be detrimental to a learner? No, graphics are not always necessary to add, uh, especially not alongside on-screen text to a narrated graphic. Uh, The article really goes over this um, as it's a visual overload and it's very redundant um, as well as it's an unwanted assumption about how people learn. Um, I think the author really shows a good perspective on how each student should experience their own differentiation. Um, However, it's just an assumption that individuals have separate channels for processing and each channel is limited. Um, and its amount of processing, and therefore um, 
it's just an assumption that is not backed up by a whole lot of evidence. Um, however, I do think that because we do have separate channels for the verbal and uh, the visual, um, the on-screen text that enters through our eyes and is processed in that visual channel um, the same way as text, they're easily compatible. And I think it's an exception to this redundancy principle um, as well as uh, other examples such as this podcast would be an exception um, because instead of filling in um, an empty presentation with unnecessary graphics, we can use the uh, empty room to engage the students in a different, more fulfilling way. The following statement comes from the Clark and Mayer Multimedia Principle. It seems that words should always be presented in both spoken and printed form, so learners can choose a presentation format that best matches their learning preferences. We call this idea the learning styles hypothesis because it plays on the common sense argument that instruction should be flexible enough to support different learning styles. After I read this statement, I thought back on our prior readings about learning styles. What role do you think the redundancy principle plays in supporting or not supporting learning style slash preferences? So I do think that this principle supports the argument that learning styles don't exist from prior readings. Uh, it promotes the idea that individuals learn both visually and auditorily along with the text. However, the, again, lack of support and evidence from the learning style hypothesis also diminishes the author's argument. I really found the article by Tuft on PowerPoints very intriguing. I'd like to know, what do you think of the term PowerPoint fluff? And do you agree with this concept? Yeah, so I also really found this article interesting just because my entire schooling and higher education, I feel like I've heavily relied on PowerPoint or Google Slides or Prezi, some form of um, bulleted presentation form that was there to aid my uh, presenting. But um, to a degree, I, I really do agree with the author. I think that PowerPoint is presenter-oriented um, rather than content-oriented or audience-oriented, um, and it quickly helps the presenter um, get what they need to say out, and it helps them outline and organize their speech because it simply breaks up their content into smaller sections and subsections, but it's just such little information, it doesn't really go into depth and delve into the topic. I feel like it puts bullet points to remind the presenter what they're supposed to talk about, and then from there they kind of go off into a tangent. And because of that, the PowerPoint in itself is just kind of an unfocused or uh, a sp spatial gap between what the focus is and what has been placed there uh, to entertain the audience while the presenter is trying to inform them. And I think that this format of putting little information per slide actually causes more slides to be made 
Um, however, one thing I did notice is the author repeatedly brings to focus how the low resolution of the PowerPoint is extremely difficult on the eyes and it's distracting, but um, I noticed that the article is outdated as it's from 2003. So I don't think that this idea is applicable anymore, but I do think the overall message of the article is extremely helpful, um, especially because as educators, we use smart boards, etc. to um, teach our students. So I think that I'm going to be doing more outside research because of this article on how to properly present. I'm glad you pointed out when the article was written, since smart boards and other presentation tools are prevalent in today's classroom, and there was no mention of these tools in his article. Tuck stated that PowerPoints create fluff. What do you think of the term PowerPoint fluff? Do you agree with this concept? Yes, yeah, so the um, the term, I definitely agree with it. I think that a lot of the space on the slides go towards adding unnecessary word art and graphics uh, that I was speaking about before that don't necessarily um, drive the message of the content. And I think that instead um, it diminishes the content itself and allows more room for um, enlarging the bullets that summarize everything um, and rather than going into large detail and having text overwhelming the entire page, the bullets just make quick assumptions about the, uh, the lesson that the presenter is trying to get across. So it's, it just leads into awkward transitions and instead of it being a straightforward presentation of their narrative, um, with more specific details, it's just um, it's just uh, undermining the actual content itself. And I think um, one thing that stood out to me from the article that the author brings up, uh, he mentions that the thin visual content will often prompt suspicion from the audience. I know that. I agree with this because I always wonder about missing information or the speaker's preparation after watching um, a brief PowerPoint presentation, whether it's in class or if I'm watching up here. I agree with you about wondering whether information is missing sometimes. It does seem thin or even that it has maybe been condensed, so we're only seeing the forest and not the trees. I'd like to read you a quote by Tuft. PowerPoint allows speakers to pretend that they are giving a real talk, an audience to pretend they are listening. This prankish conspiracy against substance and thought should always provoke the question, why are we having this meeting? Have you ever sat in a meeting and experienced this PowerPoint inertia? Do you think it was because of the fluff factor, or were there other reasons? Yes, I do think it was because of the fluff factor. Um, so at Adelphi's past research day conference, I participated in it. I actually gave a presentation, but I did not use PowerPoint. I used a e-poster in which I put all of the statistics and um, the research that I collect, the data that I collected and the results, and I presented everything um, verbally. And I think uh, after sitting in and observing many of the other presentations, uh, I found the information that the presenters provided within their slides extremely interesting, but I found the e-posters of the conference much more engaging because they were more communicative and immersive. 
um, in the speeches. I think that they engaged conversation with the uh, audience that they got, and uh, I didn't have to take any notes to remember what was said, like the uh, the PowerPoints, because there was so much fluff. Um, and I didn't hold any high expectations for conclusions and waiting for that next slide's information. Instead, I just enjoyed the overall experience, took it as it was, and I learned about the speaker's personal connections and the experience that uh, they had with their own research. It's nice to know that you like e-posters better than um, PowerPoints. So in the reading, Tuff says, just give them a handout with the information. But I've witnessed that many students, um, they tend to ignore handouts or they'll breeze through them because maybe there's too much content in them. And some of them even will throw them away. What other methods could be used to engage the learner? I would say it really depends on the class that you have. Uh, educators know their students best. And if you know that a paper handout um, during your presentation will really help your students um, and it'll effectively show them the most important points of your presentation, the numbers and the images and the graphics. Um, I think it can work, but I agree with you. Um, for the more, uh, for the students who are a little, having a little bit more of a difficult time, with learning the material, I think that in order to engage them, um, it's always good to encourage them to pose questions so maybe they can uh, be instructed to answer some questions or jot down some questions while they are learning and they have to ask three before the end of the class because one of the core ideas of presenting and teaching these students is to give them an explanation and justification to their questioning. And if they're not practicing in inquiry, then you're not teaching them anything new. You're not giving them any new evidence. And if you want to be a credible presenter, you need to make sure that you're getting across to them in an effective way. I have one last quote from Tuft, and this one really struck me. He states, in day-to-day -day practice, PowerPoint templates may improve 10% or 20% of all presentations by organizing inept, extremely disorganized speakers at a cost of detectable intellectual damage to 80%. For statistical data, the damage levels approach dementia. What is your reaction to this statement? I found it surprising at first as it challenge my initial misconception. Uh, however, I do agree with the author's stance that we, the audience, should not trust the presenters who rely on the PowerPoint um, because it's very likely that they are relying on the PowerPoint fluff um, cognitive style to mask the fact that they just overall have weak content or became unprepared. And I'd rather engage in a discussion or be given an annotated speech where I can take notes and pose questions on top of the presentation if we're aiming for a non-linear learning approach. And this way I can focus on the delivery of their content and the results rather than wait for the next slide to progress my learning further. Are there any questions you have for me? Yes, so one question 
that we have not raised yet regarding the readings this week. Um, one of the authors used the term information acquisition view and knowledge construction view. Um, how would you define these terms? You know, when I read these two terms, um, the thought that came to mind was the two words, passive and active. Um, because knowledge acquisition to me seems like a passive function. You're fed the material. You don't care what format it comes in um, or it's presented to you. And you're never really engaging with the content. So you're not really making any kind of connections to it. And as, as opposed to knowledge construction, I think of construction obviously as being active because when you construct something, you're building and you're building connections in your brain between the pictures and the text. And therefore, you're more actively engaged in the process of learning versus the knowledge acquisition where you're just more passive. And lastly, what effect does the knowledge construction view have on learning? So as I mentioned earlier, um, the knowledge construction view is about building. And I think that we you, it allows you to mentally connect pictures and words or text together. And this helps students build a deeper understanding of the material that versus if you just had text by itself, or I think if you just had pictures by itself. Um, there's been several studies that have shown that there is a significant rate of success. Um, I think it's around 90% that when students are tested on problems of a similar nature, that they do much better. And that's because of this ability to form these pictures and you know make pathways in the brain to end connections. Great answer. Thanks for speaking with me, Brooke. That was really enjoyable. Of course. Thank you, Christine. And I hope that everybody enjoyed our podcast on visual literacy, too.